Well, good evening, everyone. It's really lovely to see you all. Um, let me pray and we'll spend some time in Matthew 13. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its riches and thank you for what we learn from it. We pray in the power of your Holy Spirit that you would enlighten us with the meaning of this passage. You would speak to us. We would have soft hearts and ears that are open to hear. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We had a great discussion about this passage at our Bible study on Wednesday night. But I was struck by how hard it was to get our heads around the concept of an enemy. It's a concept that's not too difficult for a friend of mine who recently wrote this newsletter. I write this, my hands are shaking from adrenaline rushing through my veins. Something just exploded around the back streets of our house. The ground shook like an earthquake as the shockwave snapped through our bodies, followed by constant crackling gunfire. Some shots are somewhere in the distance and some seem right near us. What a time to sit down and write our update, eh? But that's the reality of this gut-wrenching war. It flares up every day at any random time and it seems like it will never end. Obviously, my friend lives and serves in a pretty dangerous place. The enemy's always close. The threat of the enemy's evil bullets. Weeds that are ensnaring and entangling and overwhelming a whole nation. Jesus here in Matthew 13 shares with the people a parable about an enemy and how that enemy is very sneaky. While everyone was sleeping, Jesus explains in verse 25, the enemy sows seeds, sows weeds in a wheat field. And the weeds we learn later in verse 41 are everything that causes sin and all who do evil. A sneaky enemy who plants weeds. The seedbed of everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And that seems to me a very significant concern, no matter where we live. Stolen Focus is a secular book that's been in the press and mentioned on the news and current affairs programs lately. In short, this is what the author suggests. All over the world, our ability to pay attention is collapsing. In the US, college students now focus on one task for only 65 seconds and office workers on average manage only three minutes. We think our inability to focus is a personal failing, a flaw in each one of us. It's not. This has been done to us by powerful external forces. Our focus has been stolen. This has been done to us by powerful external forces. Pretty ironic, uh, considering what the message of Jesus' parable to us is today. What is, however, real and true for the vast majority of all of us is that devices of some description are almost constantly in our hands. For at least 60% of us, that means at least four hours per day. And for those of us who are, there are few, under 25, sadly it means at least probably one in three of you have experienced some sort of bullying using those devices. And they're devices that at their very best provide community, fellowship, 24 by 7 communication, 
devices that bring joy and laughter and encouragement and connectedness to all those people that are lonely and isolated. But yet, at their very worst, they're devices that provide distraction, addiction, misdirection, lies. They feed mental illness and have as their foundation algorithms that fuel greed and gluttonous levels of indulgence. It's telling, isn't it, that in a recent Deloitte survey, people acknowledge social media has a negative effect on my life, but they weren't prepared to give it up. But it's not just devices that distract us. Cramped schedules, family, sport, goals to achieve, careers to foster, homes to buy, um, places to see and decisions to make in that minutia of our day-to-day. Impatience, selfishness, a raised voice, lack of prayerfulness, a loose word, gossip, so easily lead us little by little and in very, very subtle ways away from God and along a path towards sin. A sneaky and very clever enemy, Jesus tells us who lurks when we're not paying attention. A powerful enemy who has the potential to undermine and steal our righteousness. So how do we live alongside and endure the discomfort of this enemy? Well, firstly, Jesus' message to us is to coexist and not retreat. In verse 24, Jesus begins telling another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Jesus' parable, unfortunately, doesn't answer for us where the enemy comes from or why the enemy actually comes But Jesus does confirm there is an enemy and that enemy plants weeds and those weeds will live and grow together with the good seed. If it was me, I just want to get rid of the weeds because I like everything to be perfect and weeds look untidy and unappealing. But you know what? Sometimes when I am gardening, because I'm impatient and I take shortcuts, I do pull out some of the good plants when I'm just trying to get rid of the weeds. But not the owner of the field in this parable. The owner cares so deeply about every single good seed that even though he's aware that the enemy has tried to trash his crop of weeds... He answers his servants when they ask about pulling out the weeds. No, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and, and then and put them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Jesus is basically saying, expect sin to be present in the world. For now, you'll have to live with the discomfort because in this present age, there's no plan to destroy or remove the potential harm of sin and evil from the world. You'll have to wait 
be patient. Remain steadfast till the harvest. And he reinforces, I don't want to risk losing one precious person. So as difficult as it might seem, I assure you that you can and will grow to be a beautiful kernel of wheat. We might say, as challenging it is, uh, as it might be to sometimes to be a Christian in our world, hang in there and be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Grow in love, trustworthiness, honesty, kindness, gentleness and peace. And don't be afraid. If you're good seed, the enemy can't uproot you. But be watchful because the enemy is all around you and ready to deceive you. How do we live alongside and endure the discomfort of the enemy? We coexist and we don't retreat. But we can also live with the knowledge that the kingdom is growing, even when evil seems to be overwhelming. God is at work, and from a little seed, a big kingdom grows. Jesus tells another parable in in verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. It's a metaphor that the crowds would have recognised, a metaphor that was consistent with those of the prophets of Ezekiel and Daniel. But yet it's also an image that would not have been recognised. It's a metaphor for a kingdom that would begin very insignificantly. It would begin with a carpenter from Nazareth, a few pretty uninspiring fishermen and a tax collector, a very small, unimpressive seed that was scattered and planted that would become a massive tree with branches and a canopy that would spread over all the nations of the world. A tree with roots full of power, but yet a tree that offers shelter and peace and restoration to all nations. But also it's steady the kingdom goes towards substance and significance. Because again, Jesus tells another parable in verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. And bread, like probably many places, was the stable food of the time, made from wheat or barley flour. The bread was leavened using yeast, which means that the yeast not only gave rise to the bread creating a more open and airy texture, for those people who are into sourdough, they probably already know that, but it also added strength to the dough. It's the yeast and the fermentation it prompts that provides this incredibly vivid metaphor, example, illustration of transformation and change. Twelve years ago, this little church here in Northbridge had two small morning congregations, no youth group, not enough kids for a real children's ministry, not enough people to play music. But today, that small, faithful seed and that yeast that was present has been mixed and kneaded 
into a new dough. And not only has there been growth in numbers of people, but there's been transformation in the growth of the people that are here. What a vibrant and healthy and loving church family we have. Praise God. What an enthusiastic and deeply encouraging youth group. We just have to go there on Friday nights and sit with some of our young people. What a wonderful, growing children's ministry we have. And we sat there tonight praying for all the things that people are doing in our church community. And there's so many things to mention that our church family are doing to serve each other, to serve our community, and even to serve the world. So how do we live alongside and, just, and endure the discomfort of the enemy? We coexist and we don't retreat. And we live with the knowledge that the kingdom of heaven is growing even when sin and evil seems to be overwhelming us. And we also live with the end, the harvest in mind. Jesus, in verses 36 to 43, asked by his disciples, explains the meaning of the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And significantly, he confirms that the harvest is the end of the age. Uh, When Jesus, the Son of Man, will return, It's also, as we learn here, a time of judgment. And it's Jesus who will be the judge, the one who will be overseeing the harvest and the harvesters. As the weeds are pulled up, Jesus says in verse 40, and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. You know, it's easy to be confused with wheat and weeds and kindness and cruelty and mercy and violence and justice and injustice when we share the world with an enemy who's clever and deceptive. But at the end of the age, when Jesus returns and that weeding out that he talks about here in verse 41 occurs, when the old passes away and the new arrives, justice will find its perfect and full expression. Why? Because perfect justice is part of God's character. And that's what's so unique and wonderful about the kingdom of heaven. It's the presence of God and the joy of embracing everything that God is. But as Jesus so graciously warns us here in this parable, being outside the kingdom of heaven is not a place we choose to be. It's a place for those who cause sin and who are evildoers, a place where there's no justice, a place where Jesus tells us there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I have absolutely no idea literally what that means. But it sounds horrible. It's a place of deep remorse and anguish and regret. It's the worst place possible we can imagine. 
because there's nothing good there. But Jesus doesn't finish the parable there in verse 42. For the seeds of wheat who grow and are harvested, who make that choice to follow Jesus, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. For the wheat, the good seeds, those who who choose to belong to Jesus, the people of the kingdom, they will be in that unique and wonderful place of life. They'll be embracing and receiving all that's good from God, living with God, perfectly sustained and restored by God, perfectly transformed in the image of Christ. It's a place of light and a place of radiating sunshine. So how do we live alongside and endure the discomfort of the enemy? We coexist and we don't retreat. We live with the knowledge that the kingdom of heaven is growing even when evil seems overwhelming. And we live our lives keeping the end in mind. But what are some ways that that might look like? Well, here's just two things to consider. Over the last 12 years as an overseer, God has graciously provided a regular opportunity to review my life through the lens of God's word, with the accountability of my wife and some men that I deeply trust. The Bible functions, as one writer suggests, as God's spiritual tape measure. And when we measure our lives against it, when we willingly open our hearts to it, we come to realise that the enemy is not just out there in the world, but it's also waging war within us. The weeds are trying to infiltrate us and the only way to ensure they don't overcome us and that we don't ever become comfortable with the things that should grieve us and concern us is confession. It's extremely hard to see ourselves clearly and to accept what we see. So we need to ask God for his help to come before him humbly to acknowledge our selfishness and our weaknesses and place our needs and our hope of assurance of forgiveness clearly at his feet and at his cross. Confessing may lead to asking someone for, con- for forgiveness. It may mean sharing your confession with someone you trust and asking them to pray for you or asking them to check in with you to, to make sure they help you change. And there may be some consequences, consequences that we actually need to own. But knowing that it's hard as sometimes it is to own those consequences, we can be confident as we lay them, those consequences at the feet of Jesus that they're covered by his blood, his complete sacrifice and his complete victory. Confession can be difficult, even just to know, knowing what to pray. I remember a couple of years ago, one of our church family was interviewed and he shared what helped him was kneeling at the end of his bed each night, humbly speaking to God. I actually find liturgical uh, confession prayers helpful. 
So I have seven different confession prayers, uh, one for each day of the week on my prayer made app. Whatever it looks like for you, creating a, a pattern of confession and forgiveness and reconciliation will keep the enemy at bay and the weeds from overcoming us. And finally, as seeds of wheat, maturing people of the kingdom, we have the most precious gift possible from a compassionate, merciful and gracious saviour. So we should share it in so many places, here in Northbridge, among our networks, among our families, among our neighbours, our work colleagues and, yes, the nations of the world. There are seeds of wheat under attack from weeds and seeds of wheat that are yet to germinate because the weeds are concealing the sunshine and sucking the nutrients of truth out of the good soil where the weeds are planted. But just like Andrew last week when he shared with us what he was doing uh, with some of his work colleagues, we have the remedy. We have the sunshine. We have the fertiliser. And it's this, the precious words of truth, of eternal life. So our challenge is, would we share them so that whoever has ears might hear and they too would be declared righteous and shine like sun in the kingdom of their father. I'm going to give us some time to reflect